0: we do not know actually how to run multicultural society and we keep trying to do the same thing over and over again the definition of insanity Mm -hmm. and actually what we would need to integrate the U.S. is a whole scale redevelopment of all our structure systems and institutions wow to incentivize the kind of behaviors that have people operate across difference.
1: Welcome to Say More. In a moment when our society can feel more divided than ever, join us as we explore what it means to adapt and evolve together. Hello, good people. I'm incredibly excited to start our first season of Say More, the podcast version. I'm Tulane Montgomery. I'm an entrepreneur, activist, musician, comedy connoisseur, and the CEO of the Venture Philanthropy New Profit. In my personal and professional journey, I've had the incredible good fortune to be in community with good people like you. Who have decided to do their best on behalf of humanity. And I've had radically candid, action-oriented, and the most joyful conversations with them about how we can build an America where everyone thrives. In this podcast, I'm bringing these conversations to you. On Say More, our mission is to explore what it means to adapt and evolve as a society, leaving behind what isn't serving us and taking forward any progress we've made. But what makes this podcast even more special is that this show isn't just about me or even the guest. It's really about you, the Say More community. That's why in each episode, we will be responding to your questions. So make sure you stay tuned for that later in the show. To kick us off, I speak to someone dear to my heart, Carla Monteroso. As a first generation college graduate and first generation CEO, Carla may just be the dictionary definition of a trailblazer. She previously led Code 2040, which you'll hear more about later. Today, as the founder of Brava Leaders, she coaches organizations who wish to bridge this new divide between the social and the institutional experience of power. In our conversation, Carla and I talk about the irony of America today. On the one hand, we are increasingly becoming a multicultural, multiracial nation. On the other hand, our institutions and organizations haven't really caught up to this reality. Even when people of color are represented in the workplace, they still face the brunt of inequitable power dynamics. Today, Carla tells us how to navigate this murky space and what needs to change.
0: I was just excited to talk to you today, Tulane. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm so I happy. was like, oh, outside of a podcast, it's just really <laughs> nice to see your face and to talk to you for a bit. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I was so excited. I, You know, it's been one of those days, right? Meeting, meeting, mm-hmm. meeting, meeting. And I was like, I'm going to be talking with Carla soon. And <laughs> it's so a I treat. got, <laughs> it's a treat. I got my tea. <laughs>
0: You know, yeah. I'm feeling good. Yeah. Like this is my, my hot water and lemon. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Exactly.
1: Exactly. And exactly. And you know, listeners can't see, but we got our nails going on, see the latest.
0: Listen. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always having a conversation with you when I enter the nail salon and you are
1: (laughs) and you are absolutely so so it's really good to be with you today and you know I'm so excited Carla to be part of doing whatever I can to ensure that more people hear from you about the fact that we are living in a multi-racial reality and we have institutions that have not caught up <laughs> nope
0: <laughs> and they
1: have not they have not they have not caught up but you know one of the things I know to be true in spaces where people are coming from different places and different identities is that before you get into the work of things it's good to just connect right and come together
0: yeah right yeah. so
1: so so one thing um as a way to do that in addition to talking about our fabulous nails
0: <laughs> is to
1: just talk a little bit about what is cracking us up. And so what is something uh that recently cracked you up that gave you a good belly
0: laugh? Listen, I'm going to sound like the most basic person right now. But <laughs> I have been watching Ted Lasso for 3 years and There is a scene in an episode where a character. So if you've been watching Ted Lasso, you know Roy Kent. I was like, like a character who's like been strong and firm and like not vulnerable, like have been around this very vulnerable leader for three years. And Ted cracks a joke and then like Roy Kent cracks another joke and he's like, Oh God, what have you done to me? (laughs) And he's like, I, and then he, like, is pulled to do it again. He's like, make it stop. And <laughs> I laughed, like, the fullest yeah. belly laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so uh, good. It's so yeah. good.
1: That there's a song, Roy I, Kent. Roy can Roy Kent. Yeah, yeah He's Roy Kent, yeah. He's there. He's there. <laughs> yeah. F- He's there. Roy <laughs> every... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I,
0: just, I love it. I was like, but, like, it also is such a, like... I thought it was such a good depiction. Like yeah. the truth of a depiction of like when you are around a person who sees joy in life yes. all the time. yes, And that makes you see joy in life yes. too. Like the resistance that people feel to that. I have watched people have that resistance around me my whole <laughs> <life>. <laughs> But you keep going, Carla. You, uh, you keep going. You or... <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, how do you pull people in? Not because they're like, forced to but they feel compelled to that's right (laughs) and that is like a source of great deep belly laughs yes 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 oh that is so good
1: that's so good shout out to the pop culture reference ted lasso show it's good it's good you
0: know like embrace it so here's the
1: thing and that does not make you basic because something is universal does not mean it is basic you
0: know what i mean that's a fair point that's a fair point yeah We can't yuck our yums. (laughs) Right. Come on now. I love that. (laughs) So,
1: okay, I'll share something that cracked me up recently. It was, uh, so, you know, I'm a big fan of, I think you know this, I love to laugh. Uh I love to laugh, like, and I got a pretty distinct, and some would say high volume laugh. (laughs) (laughs) So, I was with my partner the other day, and we were talking about something And I just started cracking up and I was sitting on the couch and it began with the arms flailing, you know, that stage of the (laughs) laughter, right? And then it turned into the like spinning and going down to the ground stage, right? And it was awesome. But let me tell you where it got very interesting, funny, and a little weird is that suddenly I was just cracking up, laughing on the floor, laughing. And then suddenly it was like, I woke up from sleep and my partner was standing over me saying, Tulane. Tulane, and I'm like, oh, why are you yelling? (laughs) My (laughs) head hurts. Well, girl, I had literally knocked myself out. (laughs) I'm telling no lies. That's
0: amazing. That's amazing. I literally knocked myself out laughing. Yeah, Yeah. it gives a different meaning to rolling all (laughs) over the floor. (laughs) Right? So there's that, there's that,
1: there's that. So anywho, this is so good Mm -hmm. to be with you, Carla. And you've already started to talk about some of the, what I see as like core values and design principles in your work. But I want you to tell us your story. Tell us, you know, what it is about Carla, your experiences that have led you to choose the vocation you've chosen and brava leaders and the impact you're having. Tell us about your story and the vocation that is really speaking to your heart these days.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's like impossible to talk about that without talking about my parents, right? Like they, my mom's from Mexico, my dad's from Guatemala and they met at a burger joint in LA and here I am 40 some odd years later. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I was first generation, everything. Yeah. Like uh, first generation, uh, you know, first generation college goer, first generation, uh, salaried professional, first generation CEO, wow. first generation start your business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it like created this thing for me where, I knew every time I entered a new arena that I did not know the rules of Mm -hmm. that arena. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that I was going to map what those rules were and understand them to do, like, my best work, right? Like, I understood that. And I think what happens when that is a skill that you've picked up is that you start to know all the systemic and structural ways in which people get pushed out of the space. Mm -hmm. And you note which of that is intentional and what of that is unintentional. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I went to college and I was like, well, that was a really messed up experience. And I spent a decade in college access work. Right. Like, after that. And then, as a part of that was, like, working with organizations that were scaling really fast. And I was like, well, that was a really messed up experience. And then spent another, like, set of years being a director of talent or running, uh, like, talent um, in different places. And and had been in healthcare doing that. And then I was like, oh, I've been doing this in predominantly white institutions. I can't, Mm. it seems to be very hard for people to accept the data Mm. and to talk about the data, frankly, and the stories, frankly, of the populations they are serving, which were, because I was working in the nonprofit world, like 90% Black and Latine, and we couldn't have frank conversations about race. And I was like, well, that's kind of messed up. Mm. I'm gonna go work on proportional representation. Oh. And then I was doing proportional representation work. And I, I think for me, that was my hit concrete moment mm. of like, Oh, actually, there is no prepping people enough wow. to integrate segregated systems, wow. right? Like, yeah. And, I was watching as the multicultural institutions mm-hmm. were having this very difficult time mm. because there were a lot of internal wars happening in them. And mm. then I got sick with COVID and in March of 2020. Right. And I spent a year in bed. Yeah. And while normally I would, in moments of big catastrophe, I was launched in as a helper or a supporter. Yes. Um, in that moment, I was just a recipient mm. <laughs> right, of mm. all of the... And it meant that instead of acting on things, I had to really feel them. Wow. Like, I ha- I felt them in the core of my core. And when I got out of bed a year later, I was like, oh, okay, I get the problem. Mm. Like, we do not know actually how to run multicultural society. And that is at the highest levels, it's at the lowest levels. And we keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, the definition of insanity. Mm-hmm. And actually what we would need to integrate the U.S. is a whole scale mm-hmm. redevelopment of all our structure, systems and institutions. Wow. Uh huh. To incentivize the kind of behaviors that have people operate across difference. Yes. And distribute power in a, in a much different way. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and I, you know, I, I really credit Um, My experiences at Code 2040, where I was the CEO, running a multicultural institution, Mm -hmm. working for the integration of the tech industry. To our
1: listeners who may not be familiar, Code 2040 is a nonprofit that helps Black and Latinx people advance in the tech world.
0: Like, it does not matter how good they are. Like, it will get harder and harder to get them in the better they are. Mm. And so that means we have to think about this and approach this in In a different different
1: way. way. Yes.
0: When I was working at Code 2040 and we got real good, like everyone was like, there's no pipeline of Black and Latina talent, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And we started to get a huge pipeline the second that we opened it up, right? Like, you know, I came in, our CEO, Laura Weidman Powers, had been doing this great work on that. And like Tristan Walker had been doing this great work. And it was never a problem to find young people. Like we had that in droves. Mm -hmm. We had... Like 3000 some odd young people applying wow. for what would ultimately become like 60 roles or what wow. have you, right? Like wow. it was just yeah. a lot of good young people. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this experience one year when all of the managers were like, well, your young people are not um, qualified. Mm-hmm. They don't ask enough questions in the interview. They wow. don't like ask enough questions and display enough curiosity. So I was like, bet we went back. <laughs> Coached all the young people. We're like, hey, you got to ask questions. This is the thing you got to do. Shows your intellectual curiosity, engagement with them. They went back and asked questions. And then those same managers came back and were like, your young people ask a lot of questions and they're really unsure of Mm. themselves. Right. And I think that among a hundred other examples Mm -hmm. was like, oh, so the request is always going to be dance on the head of a pin. Yes. Right. Uh Like, Uh and just a few of you will t- t- be deemed like able to come into the space right and, and you'd be called
1: exceptions right
0: yep mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, yep yep Yep. Mm-hmm. and i was like oh we're actually doing free hr work right we're philanthropically subsidized hr work for some of the richest people in the Ooh, country okay <laughs> that's serious uh huh uh-huh. yep. um i was like mm-hmm. and i was and that brought me to like huh but if For the last decade, 20%, 15 to 20% of all computer science graduates Mm -hmm. have been Black and Latine. Yeah. Wouldn't it seem to reason that that would have changed the demographics in at least one region of the country? Right. That could pull from all of that talent, right? Right. right. And no, that is not what happened, right? It, Mm -hmm. like, the numbers actually got tangibly worse over time. The better and better that we were at that job. And I'm clear Mm -hmm. that homogenous institutions will fight, kick, scream, regulate, Mm. lobby Mm. to stay homogenous. Right? Yep. And so like, there's that, right? And then I'm like watching these multicultural institutions that are philanthropically subsidized HR for for very rich people. Uh And all of those people struggling to have like living wages for all of their staff, trying to like do that. And I was like, oh, actually, when I create jobs that are living wage jobs mm-hmm. in my nonprofit, people have a problem with that. <laughs> right,
1: right. right. right? Uh-huh. And so then
0: uh-huh. not only am I then creating an elite class of young people, <laughs> right? I am also underpaying People in order to philanthropically subsidize these rich people, and that whole system to me was like, this is not the move, right? Like, whatever this is, it comforts power Mm. instead of convincing power through rights that we demand Mm -hmm. that it needs to change, Mm -hmm. and and that led me to like understand. I was like, oh, then actually. I got told when I came into my career world that I was walking into an integrated America. Right. And I'm not. Mm. Like, America is integrated at the grassroots and at the poverty level. Okay. It is not integrated in high-wage and salaried work.
1: This is why Carla moved from supporting Black and Latinx people to fixing institutions that weren't recognizing their talent. In 2022, she launched Brava Leaders to help organizations provide a more equitable working environment. Okay, let's pause there. Let's pause there. Mm-hmm. There's so much. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm trying to, like, for the listeners, I'm trying to uh, monitor myself in terms of my, mm, you know, I come from an emotive cultural context. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, call and response is real where I come from. And yeah. so I want to make sure I don't disrupt the listener's ability to really hear and follow what you're saying, Carla. So I'm going to pause for a minute on that. So we live in an integrated society, but our integration falls along socioeconomic lines is that's what you're telling me so that the wealthy those who wield power and formal structures that that is the place where we do not see that same level yes. of integration is that fair
0: mm-hmm. right yes if you wield decision-making rights in America mm-hmm. then that determine the conditions that people are in yeah those places are homogenous white cis male spaces for the most part
1: for the most part and so talk to me about this because I can imagine some people are hearing that right and you know, We all seek comfort, right? Like that is what Mm -hmm. our brains are physiologically designed to do, to seek safety first and then to seek comfort, right? Once we know Mm -hmm. we're safe. And so in this moment, seeking perhaps both safety and comfort would mean that when you hear that, you try to think about all the examples of why what you just said, Carla, isn't true. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had a black president. We have, you know, we have a few more black female ceos we have you know you know um, you know there's all kinds of examples that people give oh, yeah. uh that are meant to be evidence that that norm you just described is actually no longer the norm or past that can you speak to that because I, I i want us to i don't want people to disengage from us because they presume that oh she's talking about old data
0: yeah no i mean so the georgetown i believe it's like center for workforce mm-hmm did a study and they said if Black and Latina people were proportionally represented in good Mm -hmm. jobs, Mm -hmm. like salaried high-wage jobs, today Latina people would have $352 billion more money and Black people would have $202 billion more money today today. if we were proportionally represented. So like there were always going to be examples. Mm -hmm. Always. Mm -hmm. Like and let me be very clear. I have been used as an example many a time. Mm, yeah. Right? right? Like, well, if she could do it and if it, you know, then yeah. that means everyone can do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think part of building your own power analysis when you are a leader of color yeah. is understanding your place in your community. Mm, mm-hmm. And while there are examples, the data does not hold up yeah. that those examples are the true experience right. of people of color right. and like that's black indigenous mm-hmm. mixed race yep. asian yep. and or latina people in this country yes right yes. like in particular our pacific islander friends within the asian community yes like there is real data there that tells us mm-hmm. that a proportional distribution yeah which like listen we're not sometimes i get people that are like oh, but can you really get to proportional distribution and will that be enough and what? Like, it is not possible. Mm -hmm. Like, we are not yet at the sticky nickel conversations. (laughs) Right? We have so <laughs> yeah. much work to do yeah, yeah, yeah. to integrate America yes, yes, Like the yes. da- and the data very clearly points to it. Mm-hmm. Like when I look at that $352 billion, $202 billion, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. I actually saw that in real life because I watched as young people did the thing they were supposed to do. They went to college. Yep. They went and got an engineering degree mm-hmm. and did their absolute level best to try and get into the tech industry. Yeah. And they were met mm. with people that said that they were still not enough.
1: Right. Over and over again.
0: Over and over again.
1: Hello, Seymour community. Just wanted to take a quick pause to tell you about another great podcast I co-produce with my wonderful colleagues, English Saul and Jeff Walker. You might already have heard of it. It's called System Catalyst. And in it, we tell the stories of people who have achieved significant social change by collaborating with others. If you are a changemaker or aspiring to be one, I think you'll find tons of useful strategies and advice on the podcast. I'd absolutely love it if you checked it out. All you need to do is follow the link in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe, too, so you can start listening as soon as you finish this episode. And now, back to Say More. Carla believed that Black and Latinx people aren't just held to higher standards when entering the workforce. They also experience scrutiny when transitioning into positions of power.
0: There is like disproportionate punishment, disproportionate fear, disproportionate anger Mm -hmm. when Black people make a mistake of some kind.
1: I see. So Mm
0: -hmm. we are going to be able to see Mm. a bunch of injustice Yeah. as Black, Latina, Indigenous, uh, mixed race, Asian, Mm. like as the... Population of beautiful cultures yes. comes into power in multicultural institution building. We will be able to see more acutely the things about that that were not just mm. because we have different expectations of people of color than we do of white people.
1: So let's talk about that because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a lot you're saying, you know, that, that hits deep. What is your advice, guidance, coaching to that leader of color? who has worked in ways that, you know, in many cases exceed, you know, what the human body was designed to do Yeah, to arrive at a particular seat of formal power. And then as soon as they sit their backside in that chair, Mm -hmm. the entire rules and context of what it means to be in that seat have changed, Mm -hmm. you know, to your point. Because I do think there's there's so much to what you're saying. Anecdotally, I can come up with, you know, at least easily 20 examples Mm -hmm. of times where something that was completely acceptable and even expected for decades immediately becomes intolerable the moment the executive leadership is a person of color. And I've seen it over and over again. So how do you advise, what would you say to that leader? Because there's a whole set of things that they are going through, I would imagine, right? I would I know. I don't have to say I would imagine. I know personally. The whole set of things they go through when they arrive. And then there is this increased scrutiny, anger, punitive, framing, all the things that you described.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think first the message can't just be to leaders of color. It's got to be to workers and middle managers and everyone Um, Mm -hmm. but like the first thing i would say to a leader of color is one you've got to have a power analysis because i like i call it who me leadership all the time (laughs) who me you know like folks Uh will be like because listen like i for the longest time my identity was like i am from a low-income community i'm latina i'm the first in my family Blah 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 and -hmm. eventually you get about a decade away from having yeah. been poor, having, you know, having been the first, have it, like yeah. you get a decade away from that. Right. And that is like a different power position. You yeah. are yeah. tangibly in a different identity than the one mm. that you started in. And I don't think you always notice because it's not like moving in that identity comes with less microaggressions, less punitive something or other, like it, you just have progressed in some ways yes and when people come to you and say something that lacks justice that is unjust Mm -hmm. happens if the reaction is like how could people ever think of me doing this Mm. I was poor like I like and you know this is not just leaders of color like I was watching Howard Schultz on that Starbucks (laughs) like congressional (laughs) Starbucks thing right like he was yeah. like, I worked, I, I was poor when I was growing up and I, everything yes. I earned, I got. And yes, I'm, and it's like, but bruh, you're a billionaire now.
1: Right. Right.
0: Like right. it actually tangibly does. It's not that it's not material. Yes. Like the experiences and the trauma from that. Yes. But you fully know can opt out of living in that life at this point because of your set of resources. Right. And like, that's what happens. Like we get issued an opt out and the mm. the kind of power that can be used to insulate instead of heal.
1: Yes. It's so profound what you're talking about because it requires that you hold that two, you know, cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a reason that President Obama, by the time he finished his presidential terms, had a head full of gray hair. Mm hmm. You know, there's a That's reason. Right. And that and that would be true for probably any human in that particularly,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, extractive role. Um, but there's a reason, right? Yeah. There's a whole set of um, specific attacks that are reserved for people who are leaders in a formal sense who happen to be people of color. There's a particular kind, there's a whole set of attacks that are reserved for that community of people. And yet, you're right. Their identity and lived experience is in many cases notably different than it may have been when they started on their journey and man that is a lot to hold in one
0: mind <laughs> yeah it is and yeah. like there's a lot to grieve in that yeah. yeah like you have to grieve all of the different choices you made the ways in which you gave, gave up your community the ways in which you leaned into your community the different pulls that you get as being yeah. a stable branch in your community like there's yeah. there's just a lot to grieve there And Mm -hmm. I find that when we do grieve it, when we take the time to transition from the identity that we started with to the identity that we now inhabit, when people come to us and say something bad happened under your watch and it needs to be changed, I think we hold it in a different way, right?
1: Yes, yes.
0: And on the other end, I do think that we all, no matter what position of leadership we hold, Mm -hmm. are going to have to figure out how to hold that we are going to be in discovery of all of the different layers of injustice. Yeah. Yeah. And like that we will be able to see that injustice because power is visible Mm. on Black, Native, Pacific Islander, mixed race, and or Latina people. Mm. Sometimes it's even visible on white women, right? Like that visibility of power allows Mm. us to like do something with it.
1: Yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And so back to the juicy part, mm-hmm. right. Um, talk a little bit about how, you know the multi multicultural institutions and multiracial institutions talk about how they leverage the power of that. Yeah. Talk about maybe even an example or two that you've seen yeah. that you're particularly proud of or excited about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there are so many. Um, mm-hmm. I have seen. I've seen the restructuring of a lot of different organizations. Um, I've seen people start to get benefits. Like, I have never seen more living wage in the nonprofit sector than when leaders of color started coming into power. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. most of the leaders of color I know who are in leadership are paying at least Mm -hmm. $60,000 in each of their institutions. And that, to me, is very exciting. Yes. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot that gets surfaced when people are no longer having to scramble for basic needs to get met, right? Right, um, right. So I, I do think that is really exciting. Mm-hmm. I do think it also creates the complexity of putting us in a different set of wages than the working class people that sometimes we're advocating for.
1: Yes. Yes. Say more about that. Like, so what does it require? So when we address living wage concerns in an institution, but as an institution, we're still in service in partnership with working class communities. What does yeah, that require of yeah. us?
0: I've I talked about this a lot as a dual mandate. Okay. You've got your mission, your purpose, like the mm-hmm. thing you were supposed to do in the world, mm-hmm. the, the thing that your organization or institution was created to, to do. Yeah. And then you have an equitable organization and the need to make sure that you are living inside the ethos that you are trying to put into the world outside. Yes. We talk about that, like column B, as if it's an easy thing to do. Right. Like
1: <laughs> That's right. Oh, that's right.
0: I'm just going to go through the employee handbook and mm. change five different policies and we'll be good. right? <laughs> like, that's just not... That's not it. You don't change a history of America taking advantage of and abusing its lowest paid employees Hmm. and transition it with a few policies at the start of a leader of color's tenure. Like, that's just not.
1: (laughs) That's not it. Okay, manage expectations. Don't disabuse yourself of the notion if you're holding that idea. That's right. Carla believes that moving toward equity in an organization requires more than hiring Black and Latinx people. We must recognize that having people of color in positions of power doesn't mean that they aren't facing injustice.
0: I think a lot of people have started to understand that demographics are not destiny and that just because we have representation does not mean something is going to be equitable. And that we need to organize around a power analysis and like risk analysis and all of that. Yes, All of that is there, but Mm -hmm. then we get amnesia. Mm. Like, we then are like, but why didn't that person fix it? Yeah, yeah. I've watched so many, in particular, Gen X Black women lose Mm. their jobs as leaders Mm. of institutions over the course of the last three years because their teams were ripped. They were pissed at them. Yeah. And those leaders were like trying to parallel park a car. They were like, if I do this, (laughs) will it work? If I do that, will it work? If I do this three, four point turn, if I do a 360 point turn, will it work? And like, it just doesn't, right? And those are the least resource organizations in the nonprofit ecosystem often. okay, And like, listen, it's not that their employees are not right in some ways. yes. What you are seeing here is unfair. But mm-hmm. the root cause hmm. is not actually this human.
1: Who just got the job. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Like, even right, if they are right. inelegant or ungraceful about talking about the tensions, it's actually yes. not that you hum- It's like up until now, this is the way it's always been. And we are pulling up a rock, cleaning yes. out the dirt, discovering yes. that there are more bugs beneath, pulling up mm. that rock, cleaning out the dirt, discovering there are more bugs there, pulling up yeah. that rock. Like, It's just a continuous process of pulling up all of the inequities and watching that those inequities held up bigger structural inequities. And so like we are in a process of learning Mm. and it is the leader's responsibility to be clear on a power analysis and their place in that learning and Mm -hmm. the compassion that they have for people and not make people have to get to a level 10 angry before their concerns are dealt with. and. We also need to understand this as a tender moment in which we are birthing something. And when you birth something, you have to be tender and agile and responsive and compassionate in order Mm. to birth it. And my fear is we are using the hardness and accountability and um, like we're using all of the tools that we use for accountability for homogenous institutions. Yeah. Hold accountable multicultural institutions, yeah, and we actually need a different set of tools for that.
1: So, one thing that I want to just sort of get your perspective on: when the mission of a vision, I should say, of Brava Leaders is achieved, what will be different?
0: We will be in a constant exploration of every like norm. Hmm. That we had to, like, create something new. I think we're going to be working on this for longer than my life. Yeah. And I think what I'm trying to build and create is a sense of curiosity, excitement, and opportunity to, like, shift those things really. Not just paper over them. Yeah. We've done the thing where there's a diversity report every year and the way that things are still unjust gets reported on and everyone's like, dang, that's bad. <laughs> and then we do nothing.
1: <laughs> I know, it just, but, but, we, but we get more mad and sadder and more disheartened. I mean, that happens, That's right? right? Yeah. So what is our
0: path? I think it's clear beliefs. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I trying to do here? Yeah. And does everyone understand that? I think it's understanding like, power and that's like having your own power analysis, understanding your relationship to power yeah. understanding how to use the levers of power yes I think it's seeing tension and conflict as a source of strategic refinement mm. of like actually there are different beliefs at play here mm-hmm. there are different roles that play here there are different styles at play here mm-hmm. there may be some broken commitments here. we have yeah. to mine that conflict for what it's teaching us and work with that embodied knowledge. So I think that's one of the paths. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we have to understand trade-offs. Mm-hmm. Listen, like I had this horrendous experience during COVID. Like it was the worst of the worst. Um And at one point in time, tangibly, my family had to make a trade-off between my life and my grandmother's life. Mm. Because our resources did not stretch to protect both of us. And it is the most painful set. I mean, it's just an awful, awful set of decisions. Impossible. Impossible, impossible decisions. We are going to be faced with impossible, impossible, painful decisions. Mm. Impossible trade-offs that are going to like break our hearts. Mm-hmm. and our ability to be moral in those trade-offs mm-hmm. and our ability to feel and grieve and mourn the trade-offs that are getting made yes but to still stand in our wisdom and make them yes and being honest about them in a way that we have not seen the leadership of the country be honest about trade-offs in the past right, right? like Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk are trading democracy away for their financial profitability. Mm-hmm. And they are honest about that with themselves, much less the rest of us. (laughs) So we have to be honest about the trade-offs. And I think when we can, we will start to build a muscle around them that, that the forces of segregation and violence do not have.
1: Next, I asked Carla some questions coming from you, the Say More community. But before we move on, I invite you to take one deep breath. What Carla is talking about is so powerful and can feel like a lot of information, especially if you resonate with the experiences she describes so clearly. In fact, I'm going to do that with you. Okay, now that we have taken a moment to take a breath so we can take in what Carla has shared, let's move on to our community questions. If you'd like to become part of future Say More episodes, follow me on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. There you'll get a chance to be in conversation with upcoming Say More guests. One community question I have is, do we still call the platform Twitter? I just can't quite bring myself to call it X. So one comes from um, Michelle, the indie mom of comedy, uh, and also my soror. And she asks, do homogenous institutions create systems to address their lack of multiculturalism? Like, are you seeing Homogeneous institutions take this on in 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 meaningful ways. Um, What are you seeing? Yeah.
0: No. My best example for this is when Facebook was going from being a desktop website to being Mm -hmm. a mobile app. Yes. Every single meeting Mark Zuckerberg held, people had to talk about the transition. Like, Hmm. and every manager had to talk about the transition. And Mm -hmm. they spent three years with. Every single meeting, Mm. making people talk about that transition and fully creating the systems and structures necessary for a huge technological global transition. Mm -hmm. And that amount of effort was not put into any kind of diversity and inclusion initiative. right? Right. It's not like...
1: Like it takes that. Right. I hear you. It's like
0: a million dollars on the side of the... It's like a million dollars on the side of the project is a barnacle on the project. It is not the reshaping of the project.
1: <laughs> I'm just on the barnacle. And, and I got a visual listen, that will never leave me.
0: <laughs> listen, most DEI yes. and most homogenous institutions is a mm. barnacle on the yeah. side of the project versus yeah. a restructuring of an institution yes. to go from segregated to integrated.
1: Wow, wow, wow. Mm. Well, there's your answer, Michelle. Okay. (laughs) My next question from the Say More community is from Holly G on Instagram. And she says, and this is one. Holly G says, how does one manage their capacity for grace when undertaking this work?
0: That is the hardest question.
1: (laughs) Holly G doesn't play. Uh
0: Thank you, Holly. (laughs) Um, So I can only tell you like what I have done. Um, so I have a grieving ritual, like every Wednesday in the shower, I cry (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's been like, there's so much emotion from this work and there's so much emotion of like where the world is at and like all the information in the world and all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the body needs release. Right. And if I'm going to have grace and compassion with people, I actually first have to have it with myself. That's right. And so I have a grieving ritual on Wednesday mornings where like I have a, like a playlist and I reflect on the things that hurt and I cry and let it out of my body. Mm. I will have a cup of coffee near my ancestor altar. Yes. Um, yes. And just like have conversations with my ancestors, truth be told. Yeah. Um, and I'm actively trying to create space when I facilitate and when I'm in communion with people to sit back and like meditate or breathe Mm -hmm. or like note when someone needs to walk away and I think that practice has been really important yeah like I used to be a very high energy facilitator like Mm -hmm. let's go I would do the like The Mm -hmm. razzle dazzle better than anybody, you know, like getting people excited. And like that part of me, actually, I think I grieved and lost it after COVID. Mm -hmm. I, which is like, it's, you know, other people play that role. I don't judge that role at all. That's right. I find its importance. Mm -hmm. And I've just found it necessary to bring down the temperature. Yes. And, get people back in their bodies and the wisdom of their bodies over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I think grace comes from having cultivated such a rich individual practice around Mm -hmm. acknowledging your own emotional body Yeah, that you can acknowledge the emotional body of other people in the moment. Yes, right, right. I had a client who I would, I will of course not name, but mm-hmm. had come into a session really activated because uh, they had experienced something yeah. in another meeting that was extremely not graceful, right? Like yes. almost yes. felt like harm. It triggered their, yeah. some of their internalized stuff from their childhood. Yes, And like, I was watching this person be spun up and try and tell me all these things. And I was like, I'm going to pause you. Mm. I just think we need to breathe right now yeah yeah and I was like, "I need you to go on a walk, mm. and then we can come back and talk about this, and you know, yeah. and trying to real- like, I see what is happening for you right now, yes. and I want to meet you with that compassion, mm-hmm. and let's like come back and and do that. And yeah, I think like for me, creating mm-hmm. practice around that has helped me see when people are not in their mm-hmm. body.
1: Yes, yes. And, you know, we get good at the things we practice, Mm -hmm. right? And so if we practice that for ourselves, that kind of self-awareness and self-compassion and release, Mm -hmm. then we can help others practice it for themselves. That really, it resonates. And it's so important. You know, I I love what you said earlier, that the accountability that made sense in homogenous institutions, that the accountability that we need now in our multiracial, multicultural world is different. It's a combination of fierceness and tenderness. You know, it's yeah. the integration of the two, yeah, right? absolutely. So it's really uh, so significant. So your time has just been such a gift, Carla, as always, mm-hmm. you know. Um, one thought, I was just, I'm reflecting and holding the story you shared about your grandmother. Uh, what is your grandmother's name? What, 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 mm-hmm. What's her name? Guadalupe. Guadalupe? Mm-hmm. So I just want to like honor her and Thanks. lift her up as, an, as a guide you know, as a guide and someone who's very present in your life and in the way you show up and in the legacy that you bring to bear. So I just want to honor her. And you you honor her in the life that you live. You honor her. Carla wanted to conclude our conversation with a quote by the Pulitzer Prize winning legendary American novelist, Toni Morrison.
0: Can I just read you this one quote that I feel like is my life right now? Like, yes, yes. The function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says you have no language and you spend 20 years proving that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly, so you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Somebody says you have no art, so you dredge that up. Somebody says you have no kingdom, so you dredge that up. None of this is necessary. There will always be one more thing. Mm. And I just want to leave folks with a like, We could spend all in our entire lives on trying to fix those homogenous institutions, or we could dive in to creating together, even when we don't agree together. And I am sure, actually, the product of that work is going to be above and beyond what we would do in a homogenous institution.
1: Thank you, Carla. You know, I love you. I love what you're doing in the world. And I love the world that you're helping us build, you know, so thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to Say More with Tulane Montgomery so you don't miss out on new episodes. Please also rate and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Say More with Tulane Montgomery is produced by New Profit and Human Group Media. If you want to learn more about our work at New Profit, visit newprofit.org. Thank you so much for joining, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.